Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them to the epistle of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 will be our scripture reading for this morning in a message that I have simply entitled, The Joy of Christian Fellowship. The Joy of Christian Fellowship. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, a wonderful passage of scripture that I trust will be a blessing and encouragement to us. And let me read this passage for the setting of our message. The Apostle John writes this, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. We have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is God's Word. Back in the year 2006, a Stanford researcher named Peter Skillman designed what he called the Marshmallow Design Challenge. And in this challenge, teams of four people each were given 18 minutes to build the tallest possible structure using only the following components. They were given 20 sticks of spaghetti, one yard of scotch tape, one yard of string, and one marshmallow. There were MBA business students who participated in the challenge, and there were also kindergarten students who participated in this challenge. And the results of the experiment were astonishing. Over dozens of trials, the teams made up of kindergarten students built structures that averaged 26 inches in height, while the MBA business school students built structures that averaged less than 10 inches in height. Not only did the kindergarten students build the tallest structures, but they also built the most interesting and creative structures. How do you explain these results? Well, Skillman observed that the MBA business students tended to work independently. They wasted much of their time jockeying for positions within their teams. They wasted energy deciding on who was going to be CEO of Marshmallow Incorporated. In contrast, the kindergarten students seemed to naturally work together to collaborate. They were creative, and as a result, they produced a performance that went beyond the sum of their parts. I believe the results of the marshmallow design challenge would illustrate a very simple truth, that there is power in doing the activities of life together. In many cases, 
in life, the prize goes not to the smartest or the fastest, but to those who have learned to work together with other people. And what is true in the natural realm can be applied to even a greater degree in the spiritual realm, to the Christian life. We are meant to live the Christian life together. We are meant to pursue spiritual life, spiritual growth together. God has designed the church in such a way that we are meant to live in fellowship with other believers in Christ. Together we are meant to grow in Christ and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to honor his name and to proclaim the gospel. And this is why the New Testament describes Christian life using the beautiful Greek term koinonia, a term that is translated fellowship, partnership, participation, communion. The basic meaning of koinonia is a sharing together. It is a sharing together of something in common. And the Bible uses this word in many different contexts. First John 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says, God is faithful through whom you were called into the koinonia, the fellowship, with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the koinonia, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And 1 John Chapter 1, verse 6 says this, If we say that we have koinonia, fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Given the frequency of this term, which is used in Scripture, J.I. Packer has observed that we should not think of our fellowship with other Christians as a spiritual luxury, an optional addition to the exercises of private devotion. We should recognize, rather, that such fellowship is a spiritual necessity, For God has made us in such a way that our fellowship with himself is fed by our fellowship with fellow Christians and requires to be so fed constantly for its own deepening and enrichment. So the question would be this, how do we cultivate this type of fellowship, this type of koinonia here in the local church? How do we intentionally pursue this type of fellowship so that the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified and that the church will be built up to be all that Christ wants it to be? Well, in our text this morning, I'd like for us to see three characteristics of true Christian fellowship that we might experience the blessing of this fellowship in the local church. Characteristic number one, true fellowship begins with a common message. True fellowship begins with a common message. John says in chapter 1, verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, 
what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What an amazing way to open the book of 1 John. There's no salutation. There's not even an identification of the intended audience. John wastes no time in the beginning of the letter, plunging us directly into the heart of the gospel message. He begins the letter by saying what was from the beginning. And he highlights the fact that the message that I am preaching to you is not a new message. This is the message which was from the beginning, in contrast to the false teachers who always want to come up with something new, something novel. John says, I'm not preaching to you anything new. I'm preaching to you the same message that was from the beginning. And he launches into what some commentators have called a grammatical tangle. If you analyze the passage grammatically, John piles clause upon clause before getting to the main verb in this passage. Commentator D. Edmund Hebert observes that this passage gives the impression that the author was so full of his subject, so overwhelmed by the truth that he sought to express that his thoughts became crowded and his expression complicated. John wants his readers to understand the message of Jesus Christ. He wants his readers to understand that this message is from the beginning. He wants his readers to understand that this message is historical in nature. John is not retelling myths. He is not recounting fables. He emphasizes that the message that we are proclaiming to you is rooted in actual historical fact. This is the message concerning what we have heard. We have heard the incarnate Christ. We have heard him speak with our own ears. We listen to his sermons. We converse with him in private conversation. He says, verse 1, well, we have seen with our eyes. He says, we saw the incarnate Christ with our own eyes. We saw him live his life. We saw him perform many miracles. He says again in verse 1, what we have looked at, and he uses a verb that emphasizes not only the physical seeing, but the understanding, the, the comprehension of what is seen. We understood that this was the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he says in verse 1, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, emphasizing the real, literal, physical nature of the incarnation, Christ's humanity. We remember the words of Jesus to his disciple Thomas in John 20, verse 27, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, And the Apostle John says, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. And then he says, concerning the word of life. John refers directly to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
That's the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And verse 14 of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, the divine Lagos. He's the divine Word. He is the one who was given to us in the New Testament era, the fullness of God's communication as to who God is and what God is like. Hebrews 1, verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Warren Wiersbe has put it this way, Christ is to us what our words are to others. Our words reveal to others what we think and how we feel. Christ reveals to us the mind and the heart of God. He is the living means of communication between God and men. John says Jesus is not only the Word, the divine Lagos, but He is the Word of life. John 1 verse 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the Word who gives life. Jesus is the Word who is life. Jesus gives life, life eternal, life abundant. John 6 verse 35, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. John 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life. Friends, the message of Christianity is not mere morality. The message of Christianity is not mere ethics. The message of Christianity is not rules and regulations. The message of Christianity is life. Life eternal. Life abundant. Life everlasting. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And so the Apostle John says, we proclaim the word of life. We have seen, chapter 1, verse 2, and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which is with the Father and was manifested. It was made clear, plain, evident to us what we have seen and heard. We proclaim to you also. Now I love this because John says that we have received this message, this message concerning the word of life. And our, mess, our response was not to keep this message to ourselves. What we received concerning the word of life, we had to proclaim to you. We had to give it away. We beheld the incarnate Christ. And whatever we received, we are now proclaiming to you. Why are we doing this? Why are we giving you the message concerning the word of life? 
verse 3, John says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that, and here it is, you too may have fellowship with us. We receive the word of life. We believe the word of life. We proclaim the word of life. As we proclaim the word of life, you too receive and believe the word of life. You too receive eternal life, abundant life. And so there is a sharing together of a common faith in the word of life, a sharing together in eternal life. And what that creates between all of us is koinonia, fellowship, a sharing together. Dear friends, true fellowship, true koinonia is a sharing together of life that is centered upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Fellowship is what happens when you and I behold Christ together. And receive from Him the blessings that only He can give. It is as we hear the proclamation of Christ. It is as we receive the proclamation of Christ. It is as we believe together in the proclamation of Christ. That we share together in all the blessings that have been given to us through Christ. And that sharing together draws our hearts together and our lives together in a common tie, common uh, being bound together with ties that will last into eternity. And so true fellowship in the church does not begin with common interests or common hobbies or even common ethnicity, common backgrounds. True fellowship doesn't even begin with common ages and stages of life. True fellowship begins with a common message. A message that is centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as a side note, I just want you to note in this text that it is the preaching of Christ that creates true fellowship. We proclaim to you that you may have fellowship with us. Some people are saying today, what the church needs today is less preaching, shorter messages, lighter sermons that don't tackle any difficult subjects. Some are saying that if we really want the church to be what it should be, then we need to soften the teaching and just kind of bond together and share in social activities. But in John's mind, it is the preaching of Christ that creates genuine fellowship in the church. Dear brothers and sisters, do you want to go deep into fellowship here at Hope Bible Church? Do you want to experience true unity, deep relationships, edifying friendships here in the local church? And dear friends, you must do this. You must deepen and grow in your understanding of the person of Christ who is the word of life. You must deepen and grow in your love for Christ. 
You must deepen and grow in your worship of Christ. Robert Murray McShane has said, take 10 looks at Christ for every one look at yourself. C.H. Spurgeon said this about Christ. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There was never like, never was his like among the choices of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there's anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, you will always find it in him. Jonathan Edwards said this, it is said that Christ is a river of water because there is such a fullness in him, so plentiful provision for the satisfaction of the needy and longing soul. Christ is an ever-flowing fountain, continually supplying his people, and the fountain is not spent. You see, as a pastor, I really don't have a complicated agenda. I don't really have a mysterious goal. And as a church, you don't have a complicated agenda or some mysterious goal. We just want people to know Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. If you're an unbeliever this morning and you're listening to this message, we just want you to know Christ. That's all. We just want you to see how beautiful he is. How he's revealed himself. The revelation of Christ is found in the scriptures. If you're a believer in Christ, we just want you to know Christ more. We just want you to love Christ more. We just want you to adore Christ more. And as we grow in our understanding, as we behold Christ together, we share together in the worship of Christ, in the love of Christ. And this is our simple focus. We have one tool. We have one message. Our job is not to be innovative. Our job is not create something new or novel. We have one message. It's the same message that has been proclaimed from the beginning. And what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us. And so the first point is that true fellowship begins with a common message. Let me move to a second characteristic of true fellowship. True fellowship is defined by a common focus. True fellowship is defined by common focus. John says what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And then immediately he adds, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You'll note here that in John's minds, the two concepts of our, we call it our vertical relationship with God the Father and God the Son, and our horizontal fellowship with one another, that the two concepts are inseparable, they're intertwined. He says fellowship with God the Father, fellowship with God the Son is tied together with 
our fellowship with one another. You can't have fellowship with each other without having fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. And you can't have fellowship with the Father and Son without being drawn together with other believers who have fellowship with the triune God. As G.I. Packer has said, well, Christian fellowship is two-dimensional. It has to be vertical before it can be horizontal. We must know the reality of fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, before we can know the reality of fellowship with each other in our common relationship to God. The person who is not in fellowship with the Father and the Son is no Christian at all, and so cannot share with Christians the realities of their fellowship. Now, this is why we have to be gracious, but we have to be clear that we do not have fellowship with unbelievers. We will love unbelievers as the church of Jesus Christ. We will show kindness and grace, and we will share with them the word of life. We do that with an evangelistic purpose. We want unbelievers to believe in Christ. But you don't get a group of unbelievers in a room and a group of believers in a room and kind of mix them together and call that fellowship. The Apostle John, Apostle Paul makes clear in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, what fellowship has light with darkness. And so we do not have fellowship with unbelievers, but with believers. We have fellowship with those who have fellowship with God. Our fellowship with God the Father, our fellowship with God the Son, feeds and informs our fellowship with one another. If you are experiencing fellowship with the Father and the Son, then you have fellowship with us. Now, this is so basic. It is so simple. And yet it needs to be repeated. And I'm going to take the risk of overstating the obvious. But I'm going to say it. Please mark it down and emphasize this in your understanding. The purpose of our fellowship here in the church is to grow us in our fellowship with God. The purpose of our fellowship in the church is to grow us in our fellowship with God. In other words, if our fellowship here in the local church is not causing you to grow in your fellowship with our God, with God then our fellowship is not accomplishing the purpose for which it was intended. Jerry Bridges has said this, referring to the early church. Those first Christians from the day of Pentecost were all Jews. They were steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. They listened to the apostles' teaching and were enlightened by the Holy Spirit. They began to see those scriptures in a new way. They were daily gaining a new understanding of them. And as they individually learned from the apostles' teaching, they shared with one another what they were learning. This is fellowship, sharing with one another what God is teaching through 
the Scriptures. How different is our present day concept of fellowship? We discuss everything else except the Scriptures. We talk about our jobs, our studies, our favorite sport teams, the weather, almost everything except what God is teaching us from His Word and through the workings in our lives. If we are to regain the New Testament concept of fellowship, we must learn to get beyond the temporal issues of the day and begin to share with one another on a level that will enhance our spiritual relationships with one another and with God. To the believers in Christ who are committed to the local church, can I say this to you as a fellow brother in Christ? You have a responsibility, and so do I, to walk with God and to have fellowship with Him. You have a responsibility, and so do I, to be learning and growing in your fellowship, your relationship with God the Father, God the Son. And you have a responsibility to come to times of church fellowship, whether that be Sunday morning gatherings or small group or Bible classes or coffee or lunch. You have a responsibility to come to those times of fellowship and have something to share with another believer in Christ of what you are experiencing in your fellowship with God. So that when you enter into the fellowship of this church, that another will be encouraged and informed as to how that person can grow in his or her fellowship with God as you share from the overflow of what you are being blessed with. Fellowship is a sharing together of spiritual life. And so I've had the privilege of leading a small group for a number of years, and uh, right now I, I currently lead two small groups in my home. I can't get enough. I'm just kind of can't get enough of fellowship. It's just a tremendous joy and privilege. And and as I've told the members of my small group, I just tell them very clearly that uh, no one here is allowed to be a spectator. Uh, no one here is allowed to simply come and just observe. Uh, you have a responsibility to this group to actually walk with God on a daily basis. And when you come to this group, you have responsibility to have something to share with one another out of the experience of what you are being blessed with. And you also have a responsibility to come with an open heart to listen to what others are being blessed with so that you too can deepen your fellowship with God. What is God teaching you? What are you learning? What Bible passages are convicting your heart? It could be something as simple as what convicted you on Sunday morning when you heard to the, the preaching of God's Word? What books are you reading? How is God changing you? How are you learning to walk with Him? And whatever God has given 
to you. You have a responsibility not to hoard it. You have a responsibility to share that with us so that together we can share together in the spiritual life that we call fellowship. I had a dear lady in my former small group, and I remember she said in one meeting at the beginning of the small group, I just feel so close to all of you right now. And I was a little bit surprised about that statement because we're not like a group that does a lot of, you know, kind of ice cream socials together. Uh, But she said, I just feel so close to all of you right now. We hadn't met in two weeks. and, And she said, I feel so close to all of you right now because I've been praying for each of you every day since the last time we've met. And I feel like I'm just walking through life with you as I lift you up in my prayers. She and her dear husband would go on to share in that group about the number of difficult trials that they were facing, difficult relationships with children and grandchildren, heartbreaking trials. But they would never turn it into uh, a pity party about them. They would always segue into, and, and here is how God's meeting us in this trial. Here is how God is showing himself to be faithful. Here is what we are learning about God as we walk through these valleys together. Here's what we're learning. Here's the scriptures that are impacting our lives. And we are learning he is faithful. He can be counted on. We're experiencing his nearness. I tell you, you can't come away from a meeting like that without being enriched in your own relationship with God without being challenged to know him more and without being reminded that he is faithful. Dear friends, do you want to grow in your relationship with the fellowship of this church? Walk with God and then come with something to share. Go hard after God. Pursue him each morning. Open his word and ask the spirit to teach you from his word. Come on Sunday mornings and open your Bible and ask God to teach you from the scriptures. And as you experience fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and as the spirit does a beautiful work of ministering his word to your heart, Out of the overflow of your relationship with God, you will give to others the blessings that have been given to you. And so true fellowship begins with a common message. True fellowship is defined by common focus. And that brings me to the third and final characteristic. Verse three, true true fellowship produces an uncommon joy. True fellowship produces an uncommon joy. Joy. John says, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. 
So let me tell you something about the Apostle John. So beautiful. He had this wonderful balance of truth and love. You read this throughout the epistle, that he had this wonderful balance of teaching and a warm concern for other believers. If you read the epistle of 1 John, you find that John is strong. He is clear. He draws definitive doctrinal lines. He says there is truth and error. There are children of God and there are children of the devil. There is love for God and there is love for the world. There is light and there is darkness. He goes so far as to call people liars. If you say you love God and you don't love your brother, you're a liar. And he is strong and uncompromising in the truth of God's Word. And at the same time, you see in the Apostle John that he is warm and he is tender. He calls him in chapter 2, verse 1, my little children. He calls him in chapter 2, verse 7, beloved. He writes to encourage true believers in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. How does John do this? How does he combine this love for the truth and this strong doctrinal stand with this warm and gracious pastoral heart? And this is the masterpiece that is the book of 1 John. Truth and love. Teaching and fellowship. Doctrine and warm tender relationships. Oh, that God would give us men and women in the church who understand the balance in this epistle. Believers who have a tough skin and a tender heart. Believers who understand the truth of God's Word and who do not compromise, who draw clear doctrinal lines and yet do so with a warm and humble and generous spirit. Believers who are known for their uncompromising doctrinal convictions and also their kind, gentle, patient dealings with others. I used to think it was sort of like strike the balance. It's sort of like you have a, a piano and you play the bass key, you play the treble key, and so there's truth, 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 and there's love, 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 and as long as you play 50-50, you're striking the balance. And I've been learning that it's um, not so much striking the balance as playing the beautiful symphony, finding the harmony. It's not bass, 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 treble, treble, treble. It's beautiful music at the same time truth and love truth and love and john captures this balance and he says we write these things so that our joy may be made complete oh dear friends there is no greater joy 
than this. There's no greater joy, no greater satisfaction. There's no greater than, joy than this, than experience true fellowship with the Father, the Father who loves us. To experience true fellowship with the Son, the Son who has died for us and was risen again, who is presently interceding for us and who will return to this earth in power and in glory. As 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14 speaks, that there is no greater joy than experiencing fellowship with the Holy Spirit who lives in us and who bears the fruit of Christ's likeness in us. You can take all the money, all the success in the world, and it will not compare to the joy of fellowship with a triune God, and then to come into the fellowship of the local church and to experience not only fellowship with God, but fellowship with others who are fellowshipping with God, and to be encouraged to know God more. No greater joy. John says, I just want your joy to be full. I just want my own joy to be filled in your joy. As I see you rejoicing, I want my own joy to be complete. And together, I'm writing to you so that our joy will be made complete. Third John verse 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. And so we preach and we teach the message of Christ so that our joy will be made complete. Let us learn to say with Dietrich Bonhoeffer that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. May this blessing be yours, dear brothers and sisters here at Hope Bible Church. And may each of you experience the joy of Christian fellowship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and for the, the beautiful truths of your word. Thank you that we have received the proclamation of the word of life. And therefore, we have fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, fellowship with the Holy Spirit who lives in us, and we indeed have fellowship with one another. We thank you for this grace and pray that we may be responsible to walk with you and to share with others what we have received, that together we may grow in the love and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.